Welcome back, everyone. Today on The Joseph Carlson Show, I currently have over $10,000 in cash burning a hole through my wallet. This is money that's not earning me any money. It's not, it's not doing anything for me. It's not even earning interest because it's cash on the brokerage account. Now, I always hold a little bit of cash for opportunities. When one of my compounder companies goes into a dip, when there's another company that's on my watch list I've been looking at, finally goes on sale. But there's another opportunity I want to talk about today. And this could be the opportunity I take advantage of with this cash. The stock is Activision Blizzard. I might buy $10,000 worth of Activision Blizzard. The company currently sells for a price of $85.13. Microsoft has agreed to buy the company at a price of $95. Now, this deal is supposed to close July 18th. So it's coming up. We're only four months away. The implied return is around 11% gains in four months. Now that return on an annualized basis implies a 33% return. Obviously an incredibly attractive return. So what I'll be doing in this video is going over this opportunity. The latest in this arbitrage bet. What is the latest news? What is the likelihood and the expectation of this deal closing? Also, who are the other big players in this company? We know that currently Warren Buffett owns around 9% of the company. We're going to look at what he said about this deal. And then we're going to be looking at the potential downside. Let's say that I buy the company today at $85 and the deal gets scrapped. What happens then? How low does Activision Blizzard trade given its current fundamentals? We'll be doing analysis on all of this in this episode. And then we also have some other news in this video. I'm gonna take the daring step of defending a CEO, a billionaire CEO, from what I consider to be baseless attacks from Congress. We have here Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, and there's a lot of exchanges between him and Bernie Sanders. I'm gonna play some clips of this. We're gonna to get to the bottom of it and see where there's a lot of facts that are being left out. So as always, we have a lot to get to in this episode. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Now, before we start off, I just have to do a quick shout out for today's sponsor of the video, which is Qualtrim. Qualtrim.com is a suite of tools that I've created to do analysis on individual stocks. It does it in a visual manner, which I think is something that a lot of websites were lacking. A lot of them just show rows of information and tabular information that's very difficult to understand. We are visual learners. We can look at the graphs of these companies and understand the history of them by simply glancing at them. I can look at Apple and see the explosive growth that started to happen around 2009. I can look at the amount of EBITDA the company's generated. I can easily look up the amount of free cash flow, the actual profits the company's generating, and compare that to the amount of stock-based compensation or dilution they're doing. Qualtrum is the easiest way to dive into a company and learn about the economics of it visually. And you can see how a company's evolving over time at a glance. Now, if you wanna try this software out, you can do so for free by signing up today. You get the entire month of April for free. The whole month for free if you sign up today. Join by clicking on the Patreon link in the description below. Now let's go ahead and jump right in to this Activision Blizzard opportunity. We're looking at the passive income portfolio here. For those of you that have been following me, you know that this portfolio is centered around investing in incredibly high quality compounding companies and letting them do their thing. Making large stakes in these companies and simply letting them compound. I've been evolving the strategy over time but that's really what I've leaned into, focusing on the highest quality companies I can find with the best growth paths over the next five to 10 years, investing in them heavily and then continuing to dollar cost average into them. I really like the companies that I currently have and I'm always looking for opportunities to buy more of the same companies that I currently own. But here's the problem. I go to the dip finder on Qualtrum, 
and search for a dip in the companies that I own. And there's really not much to look at here. There's not many companies right now that are in a dip. The dip finder is pretty simple. Like everything else with Qualtrim, it's visual, and this visually illustrates which of my holdings are currently in a dip. Now, when I look at my portfolio, not many of my companies are in a dip. The only one right now that's in a dip is Union Pacific, and the dip is a very minor one. It's only down 4%, 4% below its 200-day moving average. So it's basically flattish. That's not really a big dip. On the other hand, Canadian Pacific is up, MasterCard is up, Apple's up, Microsoft is up, Texas Roadhouse is up. And at worst, the other companies are currently flat right now. So really, we don't have a lot of dips going on in this portfolio. And what that's done is made it so that I've been reluctant to deploy my cash. I like to get the best value I can with every time that I'm buying something, but the fact that nothing's really on sale, nothing's selling down, there's not really any fear in any company, has made me just sit there and sit there and wait with over $12,000. Now, since most of my companies have positive momentum, they're trading up, they're doing really well, and my portfolio overall doesn't have any company that's really struggling right now, that leads me to look outside of my portfolio. After looking at my watch lists and different opportunities, I keep coming back to one opportunity. That is the Activision Blizzard and Microsoft acquisition arbitrage play. This does have a lot of potential upside in a relatively short amount of time. And this is also a bet that Warren Buffett is heavily invested in. Let me go ahead and play this clip from a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting of Warren Buffett talking about this deal. Uh, one of the things we bought, one of the things I bought, was bought for a different purpose by a different manager months earlier. Uh, he bought uh, roughly 15 million shares of Activision. And I never paid, I knew about the company, but I, I would just see it at the monthly report. But then on January... So just for starters, someone at Berkshire, not Buffett, but one of his lieutenants, probably Todd or Ted, they bought 15 million shares of Activision Blizzard before the company had any type of news that it was being acquired by Microsoft. That's right. They had an interest in this company before the acquisition, which I view as a positive thing. That means that the company was probably attractive and had at least attributes that Berkshire looked at even before this arbitrage play. So keep that in mind. Microsoft announced they were going to buy Activision for $95 a share. Now, when they announced that, at that point, Activision becomes a different kind of security. It becomes what Charlie and I used to call, uh, well, everybody did, 50 years ago, uh, we call them workouts or something like that, and they become known as arbitrage. Well, they're not really arbitrage, but they're, they're securities, they're, those case, of common stock, whose value depends not on what the market price does, but whether a given corporate event occurs an announced corporate event occurs. Well, Microsoft wants to buy, Activision will say, well, they, they said at $95 a share. And they've got the money. And obviously, mergers and big mergers, tech companies, all kinds of things, have got all kinds of problems uh, with the world generally in terms of opinion. So... You don't know what the Justice Department will do, or you don't know what the EU will do, and there are all kinds of things. But at that point, it becomes a different security. 
So they bought into Activision Blizzard, and then Microsoft made the announcement that they're going to buy the company at $95 per share. And like Warren Buffett says, that fundamentally changes the investment. No longer is it trading off of its fundamentals and what the company's future outlook looks like. It's trading off the potential, the percentage chance of a specific corporate event happening. That specific corporate event is this transaction going through? Is Microsoft going to be able to actually buy the company for $95 per share? Or is it going to be blocked by the many different government agencies that Warren Buffett mentioned? So there is risk to it not going through. And that's the reason that the company's currently priced at $85 per share versus the actual price of $95 per share. We spent a lot of time analyzing the probabilities of announced deals going through and we call them workouts. Now the term became ARB, and it hasn't worked where overall too well in recent years. Now every now and then, uh, I see something that, that I want to do in that field, and but very seldom because they got to be big. The profit is limited. You know, if they say you're going to get 95, you're not going to get 96, and you may if the deal blows up, you may have a stock that's at 40 or something. So it's a So Warren Buffett did these type of little arbitrage plays more frequently when he was working with lesser amounts of capital because he had more flexibility there. There's lots of minor arbitrage plays you can do with smaller deals with smaller companies. But now that he's working with hundreds of billions of dollars, the only opportunities Buffett has for these type of arbitrage plays are very big companies buying each other, like Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard. So Warren Buffett has really pounced on this deal. If we look at the size of Warren Buffett's bet on Activision Blizzard compared to the rest of his public portfolio, it's holding number 11. Number 11 with a 1.35% weighting. So it is a decent amount. It's no Apple or Bank of America, but investing 1.35% of your entire portfolio when you're the size of Berkshire into Activision Blizzard is a pretty significant deal. And keep in mind, the likely reason that they didn't do more is because they didn't want to have above 10% ownership. Now, recently in the last quarter, they reduced it by 12%, so they dialed back the investment a little bit. There's speculation of why Berkshire did that. Maybe they thought the odds were becoming less that the deal would go through, or maybe they didn't want to own above 10% of the company. Either way, they did reduce their stake slightly, but they still own a significant amount of Activision Blizzard. So Berkshire overall is in on this bet. They stand to lose money if the deal doesn't go through. So we're going to be looking at this analysis in two parts. The first part is we're going to be doing analysis on the current state of affairs with this deal. The likelihood of it being passed by all the different government entities and officially being purchased by Microsoft. We'll be attaching a percentage chance to that, and then also looking at the upside. What is that on an annualized basis? And then secondly, we're gonna be looking at the other alternative. What if the deal gets scrapped and it doesn't go through? What do we actually own with Activision Blizzard? What is this company actually worth, and what is the potential downside if the deal's scrapped? So having said that, let's go ahead and take a look at the potential of this deal going through. First of all, the official close date of this deal right now tentatively is July 18th. That is when they actually have the contract signed. That's when the company is supposed to officially close and Microsoft is able to own the company. So what we have here is around roughly four months for this deal to close. The price change from 85 to 95, assuming the deal does go through, 
is around 11% gains. So over a short four month period on an annualized basis, this return would heavily outperform the market buying in today. But all of that relies on the deal actually being approved and going through. So let's go ahead and take a look at some of the info that we have. Right now from the Wall Street Journal, we have some reports that things are moving in a positive direction. The UK put out an antitrust statement. They said, quote, New evidence provisionally alleviates concerns in relation to supply of gaming consoles in the UK. They say effectively discussing the worry of Microsoft withholding the mega popular Call of Duty franchise from Sony's platform. This is one of the big complaints by Sony. They're saying that Activision Blizzard owns Call of Duty, but Microsoft has already made it public that they're willing to agree to 10 years of it not being exclusive. Microsoft wants to keep Call of Duty on Sony Playstations. So they're basically calling their bluff there. PlayStation saying you're gonna keep it to yourself. Microsoft is saying, no, we aren't, and we'll put that in writing. They say four days later, the Fair Trade Commission in Japan, Sony's home country, concluded that the deal is, quote, unlikely to result in substantially restraining competition. That is another positive development. That means that the Fair Trade Commission in Japan is looking more favorably at this deal closing. Wall Street now sees the merger having a much greater chance of success. Citigroup analyst Jason Basnett raised the odds of the deal closure from 50% to 70%, while Doug Kreutz of Cowan, who was at 30% three months ago, now gives the deal a 60% chance of success. So we have two different independent analysts here, one of them raising the percentage chance of closure by 20%, one of them doubling it from 30 to 60%. Now the odds are going up, but I don't wanna give the impression that this is a sure bet. The UK and European Union's deal regulators have yet to render their final decision. And the Federal Trade Commission in the US has already sued to block the deal. A hearing for the FTC's case is scheduled for early August, two weeks after the July 18th final deadline. So the UK and European Union can put more pressure on them, and they're currently being sued by the FTC to stop this deal. Now, I've looked at the FTC's lawsuit and compared it to Microsoft's arguments, and I think it's abundantly clear that Microsoft has a stronger case. Microsoft says they have a stronger case. They said that they're more than willing to go to court and to prove that they have the stronger case. So I think that Microsoft is not bluffing in this situation. When you look at the arguments that both of them offer, Microsoft has a far more convincing argument and Microsoft has far more data and evidence to back their arguments. And unlike the case with a lot of companies where the FTC is a big bully and they basically try to wrap a company up into litigation and to bleed them dry, they can't really do that with Microsoft. Microsoft generates so much cash. Microsoft has access to so much capital, such good lawyers, that they can fight the FTC for as long as necessary. So the FTC can't do the strategy of trying to make a case go on until the company eventually gives up. I don't think that strategy will work with Microsoft. They're going to have to win the case outright, and I don't believe they're going to. Now let's say that I invest $10,000 into Activision Blizzard and the deal gets scrapped. I think the better way to look at it is simply calculating the intrinsic value of the company. What is Activision Blizzard actually worth on its own? Let's go ahead and dive into that question. First of all, this company actually has really great assets. They own Overwatch, Diablo, Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Candy Crush, Starcraft, 
and many, many more games. They own a lot of mobile games that are also very popular. Their biggest moneymaker right now is the Call of Duty franchise, which is basically a money printer. They come out with new Call of Duty games all the time. They have multiple lines of games within that franchise, and they're always big sellers. They've refined the game over time to where they do have a ton of brand value, a lot of network effects, and Call of Duty in and of itself seems to be taking a lot of marketplace in the first-person shooter arena. So having looked at the actual assets of the company, I really like Activision Blizzard's assets. I think that they own a wide variety of games and they have a pretty consistent history of coming out with good games. Now let's go ahead and take a look at some of the fundamentals here. The first thing we can look at is the actual valuation of the company. On its own right now, the PE ratio is a 24 PE. Probably a little bit expensive for a video game company, but nothing incredible. It's not trading in the high 20s or in the low 30s. We're at a 24 PE ratio. We also have a free cash flow yield of above 3%. A 3% free cash flow yield is again, probably a little bit more than where it should be, but it's not the most expensive in the world. Now, if we look at the revenue growth of the company, it looks solid over time. It's not the most consistent company. This has to do with the variability of big title game releases. Some years they're naturally going to have more revenue than others, but these type of companies have been switching more to season pass, to subscriptions, and to microtransactions. So they're trying to smooth out their revenue and make it less volatile. But overall, I think it's pretty strong revenue growth. The EBIT of the company looks pretty good as well. It had a nice bump in 2020 and 2021 that's had a bit of a reversion, but that's to be expected with video game companies. They're a little bit more volatile than other companies. Now we look at the free cash flow of the company, what I think is the most important metric, and I like what we see here. We see since 2008 that the company has grown its free cash flow on a relatively consistent basis over time. It looks like it goes through little growth spurts where it flattens out for a while, but generally speaking, we're seeing a trend of growing free cash flow. We have the free cash flow per share against the stock-based comp here in purple. This shows how much of the free cash flow is actually being diluted, and it's not bad. We have some stock-based comp diluting a little bit of it, but nothing concerning there. And then finally, we have the free cash flow per share. I think this is the best estimate of the actual intrinsic value of a company how much a company can generate in free cash flow per share on a consistent basis. Overall, I like the free cash flow profile of this company. I think it's very solid. The net income also looks a little volatile, but it's also decent. It's growing over time. And then finally, we have the earnings per share. This has grown over time over the past 20 years. It peaked during 2020. My suspicion is like most video game companies, people locked at home playing Call of Duty, having nothing better to do that did generate a lot of one-time revenue, one-time earnings for these companies. So naturally we're seeing a reversion to the mean as now people are going out and trying to have experiences. They're going to restaurants, they're traveling, they're getting outside of the home. I think that this is also going to be a temporary reversion to the mean. I think more than likely you could split the difference and normalize the growth in these earnings. I think that Activision Blizzard is going to be able to restabilize growth as the entire video game industry normalizes. I believe that the long-term trend of video games becoming more popular over time will continue and companies that already have entrenched positions and great brand value are going to benefit from that. Now looking at the balance sheet of the company, this is another very strong point for this company. Activision Blizzard has an astounding $12 billion of cash on hand currently. They only have $3.6 billion in debt. So this company has a lot of excess cash on hand. They could be doing acquisitions of their own. Now in terms of the company's profitability ratios, they have returns on capital employed 
at around 10%, some years a little bit above. That's a little bit lower than most of the companies that I typically invest in. I invest in ones that have around 18 to 20% consistently or even higher than that. So this would be on the low end of ROCE. But overall, looking at all the fundamentals of this company, the biggest thing I see is a company that has no debt and a very solid free cash flow profile. Those are the two most positive things about this company. No debt and generating growing amounts of free cash flow. Overall, I like Activision Blizzard as a standalone investment, as a stock and company in and of itself. I think it's a very good company. Now, when I take in this information and I plug it into a simple discounted cash flow calculator, I do a really simple DCF. This isn't a complex one, but I get some downside in the stock with today's current price. I get a fair value of $58.40, which represents around a 30% downside from today's price of 85. So we have the conundrum there. If the deal goes through, which I think there's around a seven in 10 chance it will, there's around 11% upside. If the deal doesn't go through, which I think is a three out of 10 chance, there's around 30% downside. Now, the downside I also think is a little bit misleading because that would be the immediate downside. And I think that over time, the stock could trade back up closer to 85. It's done that over its history. At many points, it's traded into the 80s. So I could see it doing that over time, but if the deal gets scrapped, most likely investors are gonna be bag holding Activision Blizzard for a number of months or even years at a loss. They'll be waiting for the company to grow its intrinsic value, to generate more cash flow, to climb back up to the $85. So that's my take on the overall probabilities with this arbitrage play. Overall, I think it's a decent bet and it's something that I'm strongly considering doing. I might actually do this over the next couple of days. So I'll keep you posted if this is one that I decide to go forward with, but I wanted to get your impressions, your thoughts on it first and see what all of you think. Let me know in the comments below. Now, moving on, we have some news about a company in my portfolio that's in the restaurant category. You're probably thinking I'm gonna talk about Texas Roadhouse, but this time it's not about Texas Roadhouse. It's about Starbucks. Starbucks is one of my smaller holdings currently. It used to be a relatively large holding, but it quickly traded up from what I thought was a very undervalued level to now a more full valuation. I'm still keeping my stake. I may add to it if it dips in the future, but right now it's a relatively small holding. Starbucks' CEO, Mr. Schultz, was called before Congress to testify about the business practices of Starbucks and their handling of unionization. Now, this is a very heated debate. It's a touchy subject. Lots of people have opinions on unions. I'm not against unions. I'm fine whenever employees try to get together and do that. But I think a lot of the facts are misrepresented. And I think that Congress in particular is incredibly disingenuous with a lot of the things that they attack CEOs for. This attack in particular comes from Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders continually maligns and talks down to billionaires as if anybody that earns a billion dollars is overall bad. And they've done so by exploiting and by hurting other people. Not only is that factually and fundamentally flawed way of looking at wealth creation, but it also does not accurately paint the picture of what some people have accomplished throughout their lives. In this exchange in particular, Howard Schultz, who is a billionaire, reacts to this label. The last thing you said, and it's been said many times by the chairman, I just wanna make a point of that. This, this monarch of billionaire, let's just get, get at that, okay? I grew up in federally subsidized, let me finish. I grew up in federally subsidized housing. 
My parents never owned a home. I came from nothing. I thought my entire life was based on the achievement of the American dream. Yes, I have billions of dollars. I earned it. No one gave it to me. And I've shared it constantly with the people of Starbucks. And so anyone who keeps labeling this billionaire thing... Mr. Shelton, I, I don't mean to cut you off. We have time limits here, and you have well, the I opportunity. Think, I, I'm not cutting no, you it's, off. It's your, it's your moniker constantly. It's unfair. No, it is I not. Earn- you have had more time. Well, I've been generous with the time. Yeah, I'm but, sorry. But, Mr. Chairman... We have a room yeah. full of people. Yeah. We have a panel to go after. Fine, You're not the fine. only person testifying. Okay. So here we have this exchange between Senator Bernie Sanders and Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz is responding to the nonstop demonization of billionaires by Bernie Sanders. That's Bernie Sanders' shtick. To say that every billionaire is undeserving, they shouldn't exist, they should be extinct. And previously, Bernie Sanders' shtick was to go after millionaires. He often grouped them in the same group. He said, if you're a millionaire or a billionaire, you have to pay your fair share, you have to be owing to the employees, on and on and on about millionaires and billionaires. Once Bernie Sanders became a millionaire himself, he stopped referencing millionaires and only focused his attention on billionaires. This is something that I've seen a lot of congressional members do. They're supposed to be public servants, humble public servants, and yet many of them are worth multiple millions of dollars by selling books or monetizing their status as a senator. So the accusations have shifted from millionaires to billionaires, and that's what Howard Schultz is responding to. Now, he mentions in this that Howard Schultz in and of himself is the American dream. Someone coming from literally nothing, growing up in subsidized housing, and creating a company that's created unfathomable amounts of wealth for himself and everyone else around him. One thing that he was not able to mention is that Starbucks has not just made Howard Schultz wealthy. He is not the only one worth billions of dollars or millions of dollars because of Starbucks. Starbucks has made thousands of millionaires. Starbucks has made many billionaires. People have benefited greatly in their retirement accounts in the U.S. because their 401k is invested in Starbucks. They get dividends every single three months from Starbucks. Starbucks is a company that most likely the people listening to this podcast has benefited from one way or another. So in the case of Starbucks, this is not the case where one person has benefited at the detriment of everyone else. Sometimes that does happen. Sometimes there's a case where the CEO of a company finagles away, where he's the only one that gets wealthy and everybody else loses money. That's exactly what Adam Newman did with WeWork. Adam Newman got rich, everyone else lost money. The CEO was the only one that really benefited, and he benefited at the detriment of everyone else. With Howard Schultz and Starbucks, that is not the case. Schultz has created a company that has generated astronomical amounts of money for millions of other people. Now, another exchange I want to highlight that I thought was funny was him responding to the claims that he's not paying the employees enough at Starbucks, and he had something prepared here. Today, baristas in our stores earn on average $17.50. Respectfully, that's more than the minimum wage of every senator that's represented a state on this committee, including, respectfully, Chairman Sanders, where the minimum wage in Vermont is $13.18. We're at $17.50. There you have him hitting back on Bernie Sanders once again, saying that he's paying his employees more than Bernie Sanders can in his own state. With benefits and other income included, such as 100% paid college tuition, the first of its kind in American business. Comprehensive health insurance and Beanstalk equity 
the average value approaches $27 an hour. And what I'm most proud of is today 63% of our retail managers started out as hourly baristas, underscoring the opportunity we provide for shared growth and success, and our employee retention is twice the industry average. The average compensation at working at Starbucks totals 27 per hour. That is much higher than any other company in that industry or any other company with similar skill set. You can name off Domino's, McDonald's, Taco Bell, Burger King, any of them, and they don't come close to Starbucks. Now, a lot of people have said that, Joseph, if Starbucks was paying their employees well and they had no issues, then why are employees choosing to unionize at Starbucks and not those other companies? Why aren't they unionizing McDonald's or Domino's or Burger King? The answer to that is very simple. Starbucks does not franchise. They own their locations outright. So the corporation Starbucks owns all of the locations. Domino's, Burger King, Taco Bell, McDonald's, all of these other restaurants are different in the fact that they franchise. Their business model is centered around franchising, having thousands of local owners of their company. What that does is make it strategically nearly impossible for a unionization to happen at Domino's or McDonald's or Burger King. They can't do it because every single individual location would have to be treated like an entirely different company, making the legal logistics of it incredibly difficult. So the reason that Starbucks is being targeted by unionization really doesn't have much to do with how they treat employees. They treat employees, by and large, better than their competitors. The reason that they're targeted is because they're a more susceptible target for unionization. Another food company that's an easy target for unionization is Chipotle. This is a company that, like Starbucks, does not have franchises. They own all of their locations outright. And what do you know, Chipotle has been targeted by unionization, even though they're one of the higher paying fast food companies in the industry. So don't get me wrong, I don't defend these companies, like Starbucks and Chipotle, because they're big billion dollar companies, I defend them because they actually do treat their employees better than many of their competitors that are not being targeted. And it's important for investors to know the reasons why. Now that's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed. And if you haven't already, try out qualtrim.com. There's a link in the pinned comment below. You can try it out for the month of April for free. You have nothing to lose, so give it a try. Let me know what you think. Other than that, I'll see you in the next one.